The Athletic. So Barcelona's Frankie de Jong is expected to play a key role in his side's Europa League game against Manchester United at Camp Nou tonight. United went hard to sign de Jong last summer. Could they go for him again? Is he still a player they actually need? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. No, you're always flattered when when teams show interest in you as a player. But uh, what you say, I think I'm at the biggest club in the world at the moment. I feel fine there, so uh, no news. Uh, so to talk about Barcelona's Frankie de Jong and Manchester United's interest, I'm joined by The Athletic's Andy Mitten, Karl Anker and Paul Ballas. Uh, just, just take us back to United's interest um, why they had it, Andy, and why they maybe still have it. Eric Ten Hag identified Frenkie de Jong as a key player who he wanted to bring to Manchester United in the summer of 2022. Uh, that came about through meetings in Amsterdam with John Murta, talking about potential Manchester United targets. That was still while Eric Ten Hag was manager of Ajax and he was the number one target for Eric Ten Hag. He identified it as a key position and uh, as Frankie de Jong as the key player who A, he felt could improve Manchester United and B, felt would come to Manchester United partly because he felt he would come individually but also because Barcelona's financial situation meant that they actually had few players who they could get serious money for. So if they sold someone like Gavi or Pedri, one of their really talented attacking midfielders, that wouldn't have been acceptable to fans Frankie de Jong, the fans were not completely won over by him in the middle of 2022. And that led to Manchester United putting a bid in, negotiating with Barca. Richard Arnold and John Murta spending serious amounts of time in Barcelona last summer. People don't realise how much time they spent in the city last summer. Only little bits of it were picked up by the media. And it went on and on and on. It was well publicised in the media. But in the end, he decided... uh, he wanted to stay in Barcelona. He wanted to stay. I mean, you're at the Barcelona training ground now. Um, have Barcelona's feelings and points of points of view changed since the summer to now? Yes, they have, because he's had a very good season. So people knew he was really talented. And I spoke to a lot of people around Barcelona last summer and there was a mixture of people saying it's a great shame they've not used him properly there were other people saying he's not the future of this club he's not as good as Busquets Pedri and Gavi are the future I think Barcelona would have got away with selling him and justifying the huge fee I think it would be much more difficult now because he's very popular with his teammates he's having a really good season Barcelona are having a really good season as well the financial issues are not going to melt away Manchester United would still absolutely like to sign him. I spoke to Eric Ten Hag about this in December. His admiration for the player has not gone away at all. And when you see how he's playing this season, you can see why that is. He's been fantastic this season. Paul, it always felt in the summer like everybody was trying to force this to happen when it was never really likely to happen. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair assumption, especially from the high ranks of the club, because as Andy was saying now, the financial problems were too much for the club. And Frankie de Jong was seen as a player that 
he wasn't like a holding midfielder for Barcelona. He wasn't a number eight or a number ten and an attacker midfielder for Barcelona. So the club and the team was struggling to find like the best position for him. So if you can get good money for a player who is not like playing in a position where he can blossom, I think that the fans would have understood, as Andy was saying, and and the board was like pushing in that direction. Plus, before former president Bartomeu, he signed like a salary deferral that is going to make Frank de Jong be a high earner in the coming seasons, which is absolutely fair, but it's something that was seen as kind of a problem in the club. And probably that's mainly like the reason why Barcelona board wanted to not force a move out, but let him know that the club would be happy to sell him. But at the end of the day, um, as Andy was saying, Frank de Jong wants to live in Barcelona, wants to play for Barcelona. He feels this is his dream club. And this is why we are here right now talking about Frank de Jong as a Barcelona player. But just before I come into why he wants to be at Barcelona, of which there are obviously several reasons. But the, the other feeling, if you go back to the summer, Carl, was that at the time that United were trying to get de Jong... He he was their primary target. Other players hadn't necessarily come in at that stage, and there was a there was a sense, wasn't there, that Manchester United were throwing all their eggs into a basket that with a player that they couldn't get in a really complicated deal that involved you know wage deferrals and all sorts. And you, I mean, you go back to the summer and think, why why the hell are they trying to pull off the most complicated transfer when they haven't had great success in the past, albeit under different people. The writer Musuk Wonga described Frankie de Jong signing for Man United as like putting a Rembrandt in a crumbling museum. That was the chaos United were in last summer. Um, but in, in all, you know, to pursue Frankie de Jong, I think was sensible because I, I think if you're a football club, if you're one of the half a dozen football clubs in the world that can afford Frankie de Jong's wages, if there is an opportunity to get Frankie de Jong, you should try and get Frankie de Jong. He is a utterly unique, sometimes bizarre central midfielder that at times can look like what the future of football will look like. I'm very, very high on his potential. Uh, and I think, especially after his final season at Ajax, it really looked as if there was going to be a point in time where football clubs were either going to try and make Frankie de Jong's in their own academy or spend a long time in Champions League scouting reports trying to figure out ways to stop Frankie de Jong. He is remarkable at ball progression via ball carries. So you want to get the ball between the two penalty areas. There are way worse things you can do than just give the ball to Frankie de Jong and go run. Uh, and you shouldn't do that, right? We've spent so long in terms of coordinated pressing and uh, counter-pressing and whatnot that one person dribbling through central midfield shouldn't work anymore. And yet Frankie de Jong does it time and time and time again. This is why Barcelona wanted him after his time at Ajax. This is why he probably got misdiagnosed at Barcelona. He was, I think when he arrived at Barcelona, everyone thought he was going to be the, the successor to Busquets and be the deepest midfielder. And Frankie isn't that sort of player. Paul can explain that and Andy can explain it as well. He's... He very much needs the security of someone like a Busquets behind him. So when he does make that run, if he does, for some reason, lose the ball, someone can mop up. Um, and I think it's only this season, really, that Barcelona fans have properly figured out what he can do. Um, and I think that's why Ten Hag wanted him. Because you know, Manchester United are bad at that thing that Frankie de Jong is remarkable at. You'd agree, would you, Andy? 
Yeah, I think Frankie gave a quote last year where he said, I want to be the player who gets the ball first, either from the goalkeeper or the defenders. So people assume then that he wanted to be Sergio Busquets. But as Carl said, he's a very different type of player to Sergio Busquets. And Barca have changed the tactics this season. They traditionally play a 4-3-3, but Xavi Hernandez is... He's using four midfielders and Paul and I both spoke to Ter Stegen, the goalkeeper who's also having a great season on Friday about Frankie and he was absolutely glowing. And he, while he was talking to us, he looked at the chair and said, if he wants to go again, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, and he, he sort of showed a bike lock and he said, I'm going to lock Frankie de Jong so that he cannot leave here ever. And he's become more appreciated by fans. I don't think they fully appreciated him wasn't easy for him playing in Ronald Koeman's Barca side. People accused Koeman of fancying him because of, of nationality. And it was an unhappy club. The COVID era didn't help either. But he's such a wonderful player, carrying the ball forward. He sees passes which other players do not see. He is a unique player. He very, very rarely injured as well. And to see him this season with a smile on his face, I have very mixed feelings because I would have loved to see him join Manchester United. I can see why Eric um, Ten Hag wanted him so much, but also to see him playing football for Barca and to be combining with um, Gavi and Pedri, who, who were so young, and them two looking up to him, and also Sergio Busquets, who is of a different generation behind them. It's one reason why Barca have only lost one league game so far and why their defence has only conceded seven goals in 21 league matches. I spoke to one Barca season ticket holder last year and he was so frustrated that Barca were going to let Frankie go. He said, this is a travesty that this is going to happen. This is a disgrace that this is going to happen. The f he's wasted on the fans. They don't realise how good he is. And he's delighted that he stayed. And he wanted to stay and live in Barcelona, as did his partner as well. She didn't want to leave mm -hmm. Catalonia. They're very, very happy to get spotted around town quite a lot. And the kids love him. And he has a backstory with Barcelona. He used to spend summer holidays in Catalonia on a campsite in the north of Catalonia near to Girona. He'd come and watch pre-season games. So he isn't Catalan, but it was his dream to play for FC Barcelona. And that is because as well... Uh, Paul Oli, Oli K did a, a piece with with De Jong's dad um, not that long ago, and uh, his dad talked about Barcelona being the club of Dutch players. Yeah, it is. I mean, the the influence that Johan Cruyff has had here in this club, I mean, you just cannot deny it. And it's something that any time that Barcelona is like lost in their process, in their project, uh, people from the club, high executive, even now the manager, Xavi uh, uh, Hernandez, they just point back to Johan Cruyff, to what um, he taught to the club of how football not should be played, but how they should feel comfortable playing football. Because when you have nothing, when you don't have re re results at the end of the day, you need to have like something to hang on, which in Barcelona's case is a model of playing that was set up like by a Dutch guy <laughs> that was quite intelligent and that um, just um, mold the generation of fans, footballers and, and, and managers. Um, in a way that make Barcelona play um, like they play right now. Just going back to the the point that I, I did with Carl Andy on United going for him in the summer. From your point of view, he was worth the potential ridicule that the United recruitment department were going to get. Because let, let's bear in mind, at the stage that United were going for De Jong, the other signings that have subsequently come in who have been praised, Martinez, Casemiro, the two in, in particular, 
they hadn't been signed. So their recruitment at that stage, whilst I won't go as far as saying it was a, had been a laughing stock, had been had been criticised an awful lot. Uh, the club had a huge reputation. It had money, but little else. Nobody knew how Eric Ten Hag would do. Uh, Frankie de Jong didn't have a particularly. Um, it, it, it worked with with Eric uh, at Ajax, so that was that that was a, a key um, relationship which which Ten Hag fought. But most of all, Barca fought that they needed the money and United thought that they would sell. And I must admit, I did as well. I never had any hard evidence at no point. And this ran for three months that he wanted to leave the club. There were weeks when I thought it's more probable than possible. And I thought, why are the club spending so much time here? But in the background, United started to talk to, to Casimiro. Uh, Christian Eriksen was also bubbling along as well. But Dijon was the, the number one target. But... At no point did I get any indication, and I was speaking to senior people at FC Barcelona, that Frenkie de Jong wanted to leave uh, the club. And Paul's quite right to talk about the influence of Cruyff and his son, uh, Jordi Cruyff. He's in a very senior position at FC uh, Barcelona, but he also had to work within financial constraints as well. Did Jordi think that Frenkie was going to leave? I think he did. But he didn't because he said, I've got a contract. I've signed a contract. My contract is worth something. There is the side issue, which Paul touched on, of some players being given huge new contracts just before the last president, Bartomeu, departed. That really angered people at FC Barcelona. They thought that was pretty reckless to do that. But if Frankie de Jong is offered a contract, here, have some more money, just sign along the dotted line, well, what would people do in his position as well? So when Kessie came in and Javi Hernandez really pushed for Kessie, I just thought the squeeze is going more and more and more. I thought we would start this season with Frankie de Jong being left out of the side because we were still in August. There was still time for the transfer window to be open to the point that he just got fed up and went, right, that's it. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. I've had enough. That did not happen. And I'm surprised that it didn't happen. And it's to his absolute credit that he just carried on playing, playing really well and got better and better. Right, you go and watch um, De Jong train then. Look at you. I, I finished this podcast and I've got to organise a play date for two nine-year-olds. You go and get to watch Barcelona's open trainer. That's the different in our, difference in our lifestyles, Andy. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You can understand, can't you, Carl? Look, uh, Andy's from Manchester, lives in Barcelona now. Uh, Paul's from Barcelona, but has lived in Manchester. You live in Manchester. Uh, I'm from Manchester and live in Manchester. I think there's a lot this city has to offer. I could equally, having visited Barcelona, understand there is an allure of staying in Barcelona, maybe? Yes, yes. So there, there, were, there was conversation about how Frankie's camp didn't seem keen on the city of Barcelona. Um, and if you take a cursory look on, on Minky Kiermi's, Frankie Jung's partner, if you cursory look at her Instagram page, you can see she is... Very, very keen on living in Barcelona. There's a lot of photographs of her enjoying Barcelona's beaches. Uh, her and Frankie go on holiday at the Costa Brava uh, and whatnot. 
And I, you, it's quite hard to envisage that Instagram then swapping to the lights of Manchester Arndale or the Trafford Centre. Well, you're not comparing yeah. like with like there, Carl, are you? Honestly, come on, come on. The People's Museum in Manchester is quite lovely. Right. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, but it, it'd be something of a tonal shift. Look, we there. don't have a beach, but aside from that, look, I'm not having the I'm not having the whole nonsense that we don't have nice restaurants. That whose wife, uh, Gundogan's wife, did that, didn't Gundogan's she? Gundogan's yeah. wife, which annoyed Pep because Pep owns a restaurant in Manchester. So look, <laughs> we have nice. The only thing we don't have is a beach, and sometimes the weather is a little um, inclement. Just that, just that. I think if we again go back to to Frankie's history. With Barcelona, hang on. I'm going to wave a book at you now, which is very useful to do on a podcast. Uh, Simon Simon Cooper's yeah. book on Barcelona, which is basically the best book on Barcelona that's ever been written, in my opinion, um, speaks about Cruyff's influence on the team. Uh, and Johan Cruyff used this term. Well, he reopted this Catalan term in Torino, uh, in, in which basically translates to environment, but. Cruyff used it to describe the network of people in and around the club. So not just the players and the manager, but journalists, uh, bloggers, mm. fans, um, anyone who reasonably could enjoy the the environment of Barcelona and how important it was to keep that on side. Um, and Barcelona's in Torno has always held a, a strong place in Frank de Jong's heart. It wasn't so much that he knew he was going to be a very good Ajax player and come through the Ajax Academy, but essentially from very early on in his life he's been told you're going to be a fantastic player for Ajax and then you're going to go to Barcelona because that's what good Ajax players do that's what good Dutch players do this is more or less your birthright so to to swap all of that for a dysfunctional Manchester United team with incremental weather as well yes okay you'd be but a brilliant city Brilliant city. I love it I, I, I can't trade I'm not going to trade Manchester for London anytime soon good but to to, to trade that for for Manchester United, and uh, yes, of course, De Jong had worked with Eric Ten Hag, but their relationship, as far as I understand, wasn't as close as some might imagine. It was very professional, and they, they got on well, but there was no uh, you know, quasi-paternal relationship there, as, as others have spoken of. I think made it quite difficult to get the deal across the line. There is a two-part question to Paul here. Firstly... There are a lot of Spanish players that have made their homes in Manchester and absolutely, like Juan Mata, David Silva, for example, there's actually a huge Brazilian community as well uh, here in, in Manchester with all the Brazilians that have played for United and City. What I'm also interested in, does any player after, I don't know, 18 months, two years, or any player's partner go, do you know what, we've not really settled in Barcelona, we don't like it? There might be some of them, but I mean... It's difficult to find this kind of place. I mean, that doesn't... Um, I can remember like speaking a lot to David Silva and at the end of his journey at Man City, um, he was telling me, look, I've been really happy here, but I'm still wondering how I last 10 years in that city. <laughs> um, and I, I think that you are not going to find that in Barcelona. Probably if they don't settle, it's not because of the city, it's maybe because of the entorno, as Carlos was saying, um, as how the executive board, what what Barcelona means like in a whole sense. Um, there's like a famous quote from a from a politician here in Catalonia that in and of the record said that there is no most powerful seat uh, in Catalonia. Just just forget about being the Catalan president, forget about like any political seat. Uh, the most powerful seat is being a Barcelona president. That gives you the most power here. 
um, and you can influence more than, than you can ever imagine being a Barcelona, being a Barcelona president. Carl's point about that Barcelona culture and, and in, in the book from Simon Cooper, but what Cruyff did and how it's not just the players and the managers, it's other people that work for the club, it's the bloggers, it's the journalists that cover it and so on and so forth. I wonder, Carl, whether... And Barcelona aren't a one-club city, I appreciate that. But if you're a one-club city and you harness that, then that could be something very powerful. And I I wonder whether that is a Newcastle plan, actually. There are plenty of journalists who cover Newcastle who are passionate about Newcastle. Now, now that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, depending on, on your perspective. If they get that right in harnessing everybody in Newcastle, that will be quite close to what Cruyff talks about in that book. Oh, yes. I mean, every football club has their own unique internal in some shape or form. Um, uh, you know, if, if we're quoting former Barcelona managers, we should also quote Mr. Robson yes. as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. And his... And his fantastic uh, description of what is a football yeah. club, where he described Newcastle, you know, St. James's Park is where the cathedral should be. There is no cathedral in the city of Newcastle, but if there was, it'd probably be where St. James's Park is. And if you ever wonder what it is, I think Robson's description of a football club as a sort of a store of collective memory is a really, really good mm. summation of why football is important. Um, and yeah, there, there's unbridled potential in, in, in an intorno of Newcastle and I look forward to when Simon Cooper writes a book on that football club one day as well. In terms of the Barcelona one, Paul is right. It is, it, I mean, there's, there's so much political intrigue in Barcelona uh, and you know, it's sort of a duel between upper middle class Catalan uh, individuals who are all vying for different places on Barcelona's board uh, and being shareholders and whatnot. And Frankie de Jong found himself victim or subject or in the middle of this storm for basically the last two or three seasons. You know, the, the deferred wages was a big issue. Um, and I think you know his wage now is, Paul was telling me the other day, that it's something in the region of 14 million a year. Um, so Frankie, he's not a cheap football player at all. And at, you know before... Barcelona discovered all of this, these economic levers. It definitely looked as if you could find Barcelona. You know, it, it, it seemed as if Frankie Dion would be available for cheap. And I think I tweeted three or four times oh, you know, about if, you, if you're a football club and you've got 30 to 60 million in your bank pocket, you should bid for Frankie Dion just to see if Barcelona blink. And I think United tried that and, and Barcelona did blink for a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to assume that this summer, if you bid 30 to 60 million for another Barcelona player, they might blink again. Because while things are good on the surface, Barcelona have to pay a lot of wages to a lot of football players that are neither here nor there. You know, Clement Longley is only alone at Tottenham Hotspur. He will need to be moved on. Frank Kessie has been playing a little bit for Barcelona this this summer, but he is potentially gettable if you make the right bid for him, especially because he came into Barcelona on a free. So that could be put through the books as a profit if Barcelona sell him for 30 million. This is the weird situation where footballing success and footballing talent isn't necessarily enough for Barcelona because you, there, there's a certain image that needs to be upheld as well. Let's focus a little bit on the game itself between Barcelona and Manchester United. Injury to Sergio Busquets meant De Jong played in... Uh, that pivot role in Barca's win at Villarreal last weekend. Uh, the Athletics, uh, Laia Cervejo Herrero sent us this voice note. Hi guys, Laia here. 
I was at La Ceramica on Sunday in one of the most important games that FC Barcelona had left before the end of the season in terms of La Liga. They beat Villarreal thanks to a goal from Pedri, but it was Frankie de Jong who became the star of the night. With Sergio Busquets injured, the Dutchman knew he was in front of his big chance to prove he could be his replacement at Barca. His performance was up there with his very best across all facets of his game. Barca played a double pivot with Frank Kessier stationed on the left side, while Kessier tended to stay closer to the defense, helping out Alejandro Valde on the left. On the right, De Jong was given more freedom to roam and join the attack. In fact, 49% uh, of Barca's offensive moves came from his side. He was intense in his pressing, especially in the first half, making 18 recoveries. You have to think his La Liga average per game is 5.7 and Busquets is 5.5, so it was quite impressive. When he received the ball, he always had a clear idea of the next pass. The reason for that is very simple. He was constantly scanning, so he knew where were all his teammates position all the time. He also was a leader on the pitch. With the ball out of play, he was seen marshalling the defence, giving directions and encouragement to the other midfielders. So big game for Frankie de Jong, who stepped up in a very important week for Barca, in which he will be facing the team that wanted him this summer, Manchester United. So, Paul, how will Barcelona use De Jong against United? So, basically, I think De Jong is going to play deeper than what he's been playing like in the last couple of seasons at Barcelona, That's uh, as, that, as a starting point. But then it's going to be interesting if Xavi plays somewhere next to him and who is it going to be. I think that Kessie has the biggest numbers, like the biggest options to play there because he did that in Villarreal. We've seen as well, I think it was against Sevilla, that at some moments of the game, Xavi put Pedri in there because Pedri was like more fluent, Kessie can be a presence in the opposition box. So Barcelona has this talent and this ability inside the squad that they can shift positions, they can switch, um, they can try out with the player. If, if it doesn't work out, Xavi is not going to hesitate to make a change. I think on paper, it's going to be Kessie and Frankie de Jong being like the two uh, deepest midfielders and then let Pedri and Gavi just to go forward and just to do do their crafting there. One thing that Xavi will do for sure is just to ha just to put someone that can hold all the ball carries that Frankie de Jong does at front because Xavi has spotted that this is how Frankie de Jong is happy. He's feeling happy, he's feeling confident and he's feeling like um, he's a difference maker now. Plus I think that what Andy Mitian hinted about him being like and, and his friends in the dressing room being more important within the squad. It's a huge factor too, uh, to understand why Frankie is happy now, why he's performing better and why he is more confident. United go there from a position of strength though, don't they, Carl? Yes, small asterisk. Um, so league form is quite good. However, United will be without uh, Marcel Sabitzer, who was suspended for picking up three yellow cards in the Champions League for Bayern Munich. They're also going to be without uh, Lissandra Martinez, who was suspended uh, for three yellow cards in the Europa League group stages. So their midfield and their defence are going to be weakened in the area that Frankie de Jong is amazing at, which is ball progression. Uh, if you look at the you know, Premier League top six... They will have Manchester, Casemiro back, though, won't they? Won't they, they will have Casemiro yes. back, who is who has surprised a lot of Manchester United fans with how good a progressive passer he is. Again, asterisk. While Casemiro is a good progressive passer, Paul will tell you, he's watched more than one Classico in his lifetime. Uh, if you counter-press Casemiro, he can lose the ball. 
you, you can be turned over. Uh, and Barcelona this season have been particularly good at counter-pressing, which is one thing that Ten Hag wants United to get good at. You know, the yeah. idea of once you lose the ball, you win it back very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, Frankie was very good at counter-pressing against Villarreal. How many ball recoveries was it, Paul? I think it was 17, while his average is like six. There you go. So Barcelona in very, very good form, doing the thing that Manchester United want to learn how to do, but haven't quite mastered it yet. Manchester United in decent form, want to play football like Barcelona. However, two of their best players, or, well, the most important player in terms of ball progression, Lissandro Martinez right now, is suspended. So I'm pulling a face and, and wincing just a little bit. I think if Manchester United managed to come out of this first leg with a draw, Ten Hag would be uh, quietly happy with that. So to bring it back to De Jong at the end... Do United still need him, Carl? Yes, because I think every football club needs a De Jong. Um, where football has become so important in, in terms of ball progression and, and getting the ball through those thirds, De Jong is a cheat code for that. Um, and if you put Frankie De Jong next to someone like Casemiro, then Manchester United can start talking about making deep runs into Champions League quarterfinals and beyond. If you can't get a De Jong, which... It seems likely because you can't change the weather of Manchester, unfortunately. Then you need to go find other football players to, to, to stand next to Casemiro. Those players are around, I think. I think there's one gentleman playing in the Dutch league that Ten Hag probably knows to a half decent degree that might be of interest. Didn't play for Ajax. Wink, wink. Uh, but uh, I mean, if, if you can get Frankie de Jong, I don't care what football club you are. You should try and get Frankie de Jong. But they won't get Frankie de Jong because Barcelona won't be letting him go, surely now, Paul, finally. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they are going to let him go, firstly, because the club executives have learned that they cannot force him out, that there's no way. Um, if he didn't leave last summer, I think that he's going to stay here for a while because with all the pressure that he re received from the club, if he could um, live with that, uh, now he's an important figure here at the club. I think that deep down he knew that if he stayed, he would end up playing. That the crunch time of the season would would arrive and he would be in the starting lineup, which is the case. And I think that everyone in Barcelona realizes about that now. Um, and in a time where a lot of people is wondering who will be Busquets' successor in the long term, I think that he's not the exact same player, but you have a potential uh, of player there that you cannot waste with Frankie de Jong. If he ever needs persuading about Manchester, game to give me a call because <laughs> I'm going to invite him around in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to put Andy Mitten in here too, and yeah, just let you yeah, go. Yeah, right, uh, right. Me and Carl are off to the beach. Uh, if you want to read his piece uh, on De Jong, it's up now on the Athletic. Uh, lots of reaction to tonight's game there as well. If you're not already a subscriber, uh, it's £1.99 a month for the first six months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>